Do you want me to do it? Yeah, whenever you're ready. I'm All ready. right. We should get some of those little bells ringing, though, don't you think? Like the what Christmas, do you mean? Like the Christmas bells? Like, ding, 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 ding. Okay. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> We're not recording nothing. <laughs> and because of that, they, we are we are releasing four episodes of the top top 2022 uh, of our podcast. So this was a weird introduction. Thank you for being so faithful to our podcast and listening. We want to bless you with four of our older, most popular episodes. I hope you enjoy it. Merry Christmas. We've been chatting about spiritual apathy. What happens when you're in the funk? What happens when the things that used to be fresh and vibrant in your relationship with God and his people suddenly have just grown Mm. cold and dull? Last episode, and if you haven't listened to it, I hope you'll go back and do so. We talked about the marks of being in a spiritual funk. Today, we're going to talk about how to get out of it, overcoming it. Yeah. And so, Ben, I think this is a great episode. My name is Dan, by the way, and I'm with Ben. We're the teaching pastors at Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. Carolina, Metro Charlotte, and spiritual apathy, we're all going to face it at some point. That's right. But not everybody's going to overcome it. Mm. Yeah, and, and and so we have an opportunity to do something about it. And so I, I thought what would be good today was to kind of walk through Revelation chapter 3, the church in Laodicea. Um, maybe you're familiar with that passage, because I think in with this church, God gives a blueprint for really how to, how to overcome spiritual spiritual apathy lukewarmness is what he calls it um and uh and again sometimes we hear these terms biblically and and they kind of just we're used to hearing them and it's kind of like the lullaby effect but but the reality is uh one of the letters in the book of revelation to the seven churches this is the last church in that jesus is writing and saying listen you've got some problems in most of these churches there's good things and bad things that are going on in these churches but this church has nothing good going on. In fact, that's what he says. It says, um, verse 15, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. And so you kind of get this idea of what God really thinks about people who are in this lukewarm state. And it doesn't mean that God does not love us. We're going to get into that later on. But I think the reality is, uh, if you feel like you're in the sense of, I'm not really doing anything bad, but I'm also not really doing anything good. I think the main point that, that God is trying to say here is he doesn't want us to stay there. So don't get comfortable here. Don't, don't set up your house in Laodicea and thinking this is exactly where, 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 you know, I'm, I'm content and I'm happy to be exactly, uh, in this, in this spiritual malaise. So I think there are some things in this text that are really important for us to understand and to know and to to confront these ideas and say, if if God wants me to do something about this, then I need to do something about it. Mm, so, yep. Well, <clears throat> and, and you know there is that that corporate malaise that Jesus is yeah. discussing in mm-hmm. in Revelation two and three, um, and and there's the personal aspect of it. I don't know that all of the advice is one or the other. I think it's yeah, both and. Totally, totally. This idea of returning to your first love is mm. something that that mm. we see. First of all, let's kind of unpack that whole expression. What does first love mean? Well, I think it, it's first in first in place, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's not that 
you've never loved anyone before Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you've understood, but he was the first one to love you, and he was the first one that really, you know, we we know love because of Christ. I mean, just look, just read the 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 letter of First John, and the whole idea is we would not understand what love is if it were not for Jesus. And so Jesus is what what who he was and what he did for us on the cross is really what helps us to define the the depth and the height and the and the width and the breadth of of God's love, as it says in Ephesians three. And so, you know, be, be having having the first lo- being the first love of someone is the highest priority. Mm-hmm. That our love for for Jesus is so much greater than our love for every anything else. And you know, this is related. We just did a series on the hard sayings of Jesus, and how many times did you say things like "You got to love me" and "Hate your mother and father"? But he was always drawing this comparison contrast of, listen, your love for me. Whatever whatever you feel towards your family should feel like hate because that's the whole point is that your love for me is so much greater than anything else. And so let's be honest, if that love is not there, if there's something that's like, I just don't feel anything towards God or about God, what do you do in those moments where you don't feel? Mm-hmm. I think that's really, that's that's a real problem that a lot of us face and we all face it right so what do we do in those moments when even though we know in our minds jesus should be my first love but he's not my first love what do i do in those moments i have to go back to my old baptist roots come on now and and and, uh, preach so you you gave a perfect outline there that's alliterated (laughs) it's it's first love in place first love in priority and first love in preciousness Mm. um and and i think all of those things in every relationship, kind of help us measure the, the value we place on it and the status of it. Yes. Uh, but spiritually in particular. So I'm, I'd, I'd like to shift to that part in our episode yes. where it's talk to me like an idiot then. <laughs> <laughs> so just what would you say? I mean, put it down on the bottom shelf where everybody can reach it. What are we? So I wake up. It's Sunday morning. It's nine o'clock. My alarm is supposed to go off an hour ago. I can still make the eleven fifteen service, and I've got a decision to make. Am I going to roll to the left and sleep another hour? I'm going to roll to the right and get out of bed and get the kids up and get to church. And I'm in this moment mm. of funk. Yeah. All right. What do I do? Okay. I, I'm going <clears> to <throat> take you back to the 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 Bible, Revelation three. Um, this is what this is what Jesus says uh, because he first basically says after i read that like you are wretched and naked poor and blind like he gives them this like this, a mole rat this is really <laughs> where you are at spiritually you think you are someplace but you're not and god's not be- jesus isn't being mean here he's just saying this goes back to the last episode you've got to honestly look and see where you're really at own your condition but this is what it says i counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now there's there's a lot of this entire, there's a lot of context here. We don't have the time to go into all the depths of the context here. Um, but, but, and then it says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, those three verses, verse verse 18, 19, and 20, if I could summarize those three verses into one statement, I would say this, no matter how much you desire God, God desires you. Mm. God, listen, one of the things you need to remember 
is that God is pursuing you. He is invite. First of all, he's inviting. I want you to. Buy, I want to give you this gold. I want to give you these white garments. I want to give you this salve. Like the whole point is, God saying, "I want to give you something good." Where the condition you're in, I don't want you to stay there. I have something for you. I have the solution for you. But you've got to come to me. Don't go to a. Don't go to a substance. Don't go to a person. Don't go to a show. Don't go to a a pleasure. Don't go to a, you know. Nothing will satisfy you like I will satisfy you. But he, I think the thing that we've got to understand, God is saying, is. I desire you. If you're not feeling it, um, that doesn't mean that I feel any differently. And that's the most amazing thing about the gospel is that that when we are in Christ, there is something that the blood of Jesus Christ has bought for us, and that is standing with God. We are we are now beloved sons. Jesus talks about this in John 17, that the very love that exists between the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I mean, this Trinitarian love that is perfect in, in nature, perfect in, in, in showing, it's, it's, Jesus invites us to experience that same love, and that is love that has been bought with the blood of Christ, which means nothing we will ever do if we are in Christ Jesus will ever change the way God feels about us. It means that he still desires us today. If we have been in a, in a spiritual funk, if we've been apathetic, if we've been indifferent, if or whether we have strayed far from him, that does not change God's desire for you. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is one of the greatest gifts that we must always come back to, is that God still wants me. He hasn't lessened his desire for me. It doesn't matter if I have been in a certain way for for a year, a month, or a decade, that God's desire, like this idea of standing at the door and knocking, that God desires to be close to me. God desires, that was a, that's saying, I want to come in and I want to eat with you. This is, that's a, that's a saying of intimacy. That's a, that's a reflection of not only do I want to help you, not only do I want to give you the gold and the and the white garment to clothe you and the salve for your eyes, not only do I, am I, I'm not just a savior to help you get out of where you're at. I am a God who wants to be close to you. I'm a God that doesn't just fix your problems. I'm a God who wants to love you, wrap my arms around you. Be I want you to be in my presence, and I want to be in, in um, with you. And I think the only thing that will truly the first step, the the greatest step that we must take and that we can take is understanding, wrapping our minds around how much God loves us and desires us. Indeed. That that to me, everything else becomes secondary because if we understand that, all the dominoes fall because I, my love for God must always be a response to his love for me. And one of the things that we do to ourselves, what the enemy does to us, is that... The, the enemy tries to make us think and feel that God loves me less because of where I've been. God loves me less because of what I've done. God, you know, I've been in this funk for so long. God is so disappointed with me. He's almost kind of angry with me. In fact, you know, if I was to show up to church on Sunday, he'd be like, oh, so you finally showed up. <laughs> like, it's kind of those things. Like, like mm-hmm. we expect God to treat us the way that the harshest critic in our in our mind that we've experienced deals with us. Because people have done that. Like, we finally do the right thing, and there's like, well, it's about time. Yeah. Right? And yeah. we expect... God do the same thing to us. Like, well, it's about time you've done this. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting for, you know, months for you to get out of this, you know, this little pit you've been in. Yeah. You know, that's not God. And and so when you read this text, 
the thing that, that we should be captivated by is God's love for us. I think it's really important that we take great care against superimposing our responses, which are from a broken and fallen mm. and marred perspective, and superimposing them over God's. You know, God loves us because he's devoted to us. Yeah. And his love is a devoted love. And that is the only kind of love he expresses is one right. that's born of the purity of his character, yeah. which is an unconditional, unrelenting love. I love how, how uh, C.S. Lewis called it, you know, uh, God unleashes the holy hounds of heaven yeah. in relentless pursuit. <laughs> you know, it's such a beautiful image. Yeah. But, but, because we're broken and we're falling, there are other categories. And, yeah. and, and beyond loving because we're devoted to him, sometimes we simply go through the motions because we sense it as our duty. Right. And while, while devotion creates delight, duty creates dullness. And yeah. I think that's where we have to be this. You've, you've mentioned this several times, and, and I think it's such an important principle. If we're not self-evaluating, if mm. we're not examining where we're at in our walk, we will eventually find ourselves becoming lukewarm. It's like you're never adding heat to the water. Absolutely. And, and so this dullness comes from looking at our relationship with God out of a sense of duty as opposed to devotion. And then the real danger is is where we slip into that that third part, which Peter ended up doing, which is denial. Mm. And, and, and denial leads to, to, to discipline. It leads to despair. Right. It, it leads to all kind disappointment, all kinds of negative things. And, and, and it's as if, it, even though we're technically still a member of his family, it's, we're behaving like we're not. That's right. So, and, and, and I think going back to this idea of God desiring us, God loving us, that doesn't mean that God does not reprove and discipline us. I mean, he even says this in this passage in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Like if we see you doing something that you shouldn't, like for your own children, for my own mm -hmm. children, whenever I see them doing something that they shouldn't or they're on a path that is what might lead to destruction, I would be a very... I would not be loving if I didn't pull them aside and say, listen, you're you're heading in the wrong direction. Yep. You know, if I'm not uh, having these hard conversations with them, and sometimes God does do things in our lives to awaken us, to 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 shake us up a little bit. And, you know, that doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It means he does love us. His whole point is to say, hey, I want you to be aware of what, what you're going to, where you're going to end up if you keep going down this road. So just because, you know, how I shared for the five minutes, how much we need to be captivated by his God's love and he wants us and desires us. What you bring up is when we do things that we shouldn't do, it doesn't mean God, God loves us in a different way. Mm -hmm. He loves us in a way that says, okay, I'm standing at the door and knocking, but also I'm going to be disciplining and reproving when I need to. Yep. And he knows exactly how, how he shows us his love is always perfect. And how we experience God's love is a reflection of our maturity. Yeah. And, or as you would say, maturity. Maturity. <laughs> Here we go again. Now, but 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 seriously, when you stop and think about it, it is it is someone we we know they've reached a state of maturity whenever they begin making decisions, not because they fear the discipline, but because it's the right thing to do, yeah. or because they value the relationship. Mm. Um, you know, the guy who doesn't cheat on his wife because he's afraid she's going to shoot him has a different motivation than a guy who doesn't <laughs> cheat on his wife because he loves her and doesn't want her to ever be disappointed yes. and, and, and cry. Yeah. And when but the maturity difference in in all of our walk has to be again this value this priority we place on our walk with him mm. otherwise we invite a different kind of love yeah. and a love that isn't as 
filled with peace. Isn't this mm. filled? It's it's a reminding love because you know, if <laughs> your dad reminded him you that he's still your dad every time he cuffed you because you were getting ready to do something stupid, mm-hmm. um, and and he didn't do that to the other kids. He just did it to you because you were his <laughs> kid and he loved you. And and so when when God sometimes has to put his corrective hand on us. But it's a it's a different expression of the love yeah. than than to have this mature love that hopefully we have as adults with our parents yeah. and with our spouses that is born of our nature and our character and yes. our mature state. Yes. So the first thing I, I know we just talked about what's the first thing I think you need to grasp remind yourself of the love of God and remember that God desires you because you anything that's going to stir up your heart and your emotions and your affections towards Christ is the only thing that's going to move you. That's number one. Number two, and I know this is sound really spiritual, but you just need to repent. Absolutely. I mean, what does is, what is Jesus say in this moment? Uh, be zealous and repent. Mm-hmm. Like, and this idea of repentance is I need to change my, my thinking and change my behavior. I'm going in one direction. I'm going the other direction. The whole idea is there. Are, if, I, if I find myself in this spiritual indifference, uh, you know, season— what I must do, I must say, I'm going to stop doing some things. I'm going to start doing other things. That's repentance. Yep. So a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. A change of mind that leads to a change of direction, to change of actions. And so the whole idea of repentance is, you know, at some point you got to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm I'm going to, I, I, need, I need to do this. There's something that um, I learned in the, uh, the counseling world that they talk about, and, and this is true for a counseling addicts and things like that. One of the things that they do, and there's these, this, what they call the cycle of change. Um, most people do not really change unless they spend a season or moments. One of the, one of the, one of the, on the cycle, they have to spend some time thinking about what it really means to change. Hmm. Right. So it's, it's not like, uh, I'm reacting to something bad happened. Okay, I'm, not, I'm never going to do that again, right? It's kind of the promises and those kinds of things. No, no. True change happens when you count the cost. I mean, Jesus said this, count the cost. Mm-hmm. The whole idea is people who really change, they really think deeply about, okay, there's something I must really consider stop doing. I've got to, I've, if I want, if I no longer want to go in this direction, I've got to cha- make some changes in my life. So the person who's an alcoholic says, okay, in order to make these changes, I can never be in a restaurant that serves alcohol. Like, cause I, and I'm just throwing some things out there. But they're true. They're true. Like some, but they have to think through if I'm going to make this change, I need to start doing this and this. He's trying to think, he's thinking through, he's considering all of the implications of the change that have to take place. So when I talk about this repentance, it's not a moment in time. I mean, yes, repentance can have a moment in time, but it's just, it's a process by which we are considering all the depths of what has to change and then having the courage to make the change. Yeah, and and Paul writes about this very specifically in Romans, in Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. And if you look at the words that he uses in those those chapters, there are three. It's no, it's reckon, and then it is yield. Mm. And when you understand no is what you're talking about, it is this is the problem. There's the evaluation that is is learned from knowing objective truth, and that objective truth is the Word of God. Yeah. But then that second part is what you're talking about, the reckon. It comes from the word reconcile. Yeah. Uh, and, and the idea is that, that that knowledge has an 
impact on us. We know the right thing to do, and we're at a moment of decision. We've yeah. considered this yeah. truth in light of my actions. And then the third one is yield. And by yielding it, it is meaning this. We yield to the greater authority. For those mm. of us who are Christ, we are under the authority of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Mm. That's why when Scripture says, be not drunk with wine, but but be, uh, be filled, filled with the Spirit, spirit is yeah. be under the authority of the Spirit. That's right. Don't let somebody else take a greater authority like wine mm. in your life, but rather that. So what, what you've done here, again, is this idea of you search for truth, identify it, examine your life in light of that, that's reckon, and then you yield to the greater authority, which is God's authority mm. in the life of the believer. Yeah. And that is the step toward the normal Christian life, as, yes. as Watchman Nee yes. put. Yeah, that's good. Um, and I only have one other thing, and I know we're almost out of time, but I would just say this. Uh, do before feel. Oh, that's a good one. If you are, if you are, if you are, if you're in a spiritual malaise, uh, in a, in a spiritual funk, a lot of times it's like we wait to be inspired. Yeah. Okay. One of the, one of the things I've learned is do things before you feel like doing them. No one really feels like working out <laughs> until they, you know, they start reaping the benefits of it. Um, no one feels like, you know, eating healthier until they start doing it. I mean, it's the whole idea is start start doing things, start practicing the disciplines, start doing the things you know you should do, and the feelings will follow that. Yeah. But start doing the things you know you should do, um, not in a legalistic way, but the whole idea is, I, I just think that we sometimes have this idea that I, if in order for me to do something, I must be inspired to do it. And that's not that's not reality. Yeah, and it's and it's the world's philosophy is just yeah. trust your feelings. Yeah, but yeah. the scripture says, um, it, it, I'm trying to think of the exact wording for it, but it, it, it's basically um, put 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 your actions before your thoughts. It, it, when you do the right thing, your thoughts will be established right. afterwards. Yes. Doing the right thing is always the right thing to do, whether you like doing it or yeah. agree with doing it or feel like doing it. Uh, oh, the scripture is, "Commit thy ways into the Lord, oh, and thy yes. thoughts shall be established." Yes. Yeah. So. And that is a discipline. It is yeah. a discipline. And uh, again, sometimes we want to say, well, that's legalism because I don't really feel like doing but, it, so I'm doing it but, for but the wrong you, reason. But if you think about the order we gave this, mm -hmm. right, that being captivated again by the love of God and his desire for you, repenting, and then doing before. Like, if you do it in that order, if you try, if you mix that order up and try to do before you feel and that's the first thing you do, it's going to feel like legalism again, mm -hmm. right? And that's why I think the whole point of, of Jesus, this description of Jesus's pursuit of this church is so important that doing before feeling is good. It's important, but understanding it in the context of the pool of love you're swimming in. That's right. And love is what gives meaning to legalism yes. and keeps us out of license. That's right. And whether you're in legalism or in license, they're both dangerous. They're both, they're but both when bad. you walk in Christian liberty because you love Jesus first and mm. best, then you're on the right yeah. path. Wow, that hour or that 20 minutes went very, very quickly. <laughs> so many good thoughts, Ben. Thank you for sharing those with you. And again, uh, to all of our listeners, I would say this is the second in a, in a series of three on this topic. Go back and listen to the, the last one uh, and make sure you listen to the next one. And as always, thank you so much for joining us on Life Talks. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. 
For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit LifeCharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.